Hey ladies, welcome to the Core 4 Momentum podcast, empowering women in pelvic health. In this podcast, we will uncover all aspects of women's health and pelvic health. This podcast is hosted by the Core 4 team, a strong group of pelvic health physical therapy experts who are passionate about advocating for women's health and changing the world, one pelvis at a time. Stay tuned to the end of this episode to find out how to join our free private Facebook group of empowered women. If you join, you will have access to free pelvic health education and you will become part of a strong community of ladies. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, Uh, my name is Amy Newberry. I'll be your host for today's episode. Uh, today I am thrilled to introduce Casey Widmeyer. Casey is a board certified lactation consultant, childbirth educator, and doula in Mainville, Ohio, outside Cincinnati. Uh, Casey works at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center and for Tender Beginnings, a doula agency. Casey lives with her husband, Grant, um, and their two children, Lincoln and Theodore. Such cute names, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm very patriotic. Yes, I definitely will. <laughs> um, in her spare time, you may find Casey reading, shopping, or sipping a nice cup of joe. Um, Casey, thank you so much for joining me today uh, to discuss all things about lactation. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on here. I'm always excited to talk about breastfeeding and, you know, put a lot of the myths to bust and, um, you know, make people feel more comfortable about it. So I'm really happy to share you know, my experiences in education and, um, you know, being a mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for um, getting on this call. Um, we'll get started. With, we have a lot of questions. Um, <laughs> a lot of really good, like, feedback from a lot of the girls on, uh, on the ladies from the Core 4 page. Uh, and, yeah, so we'll get started. Yeah, I mean, breastfeeding is one of those things that I could be answering questions on it for the eternity. I mean, there's always – everyone has their own specialized – Um, example of something or something that happened to them because, you know, people are unique, babies are unique, um, and every single person is different. So I'll do the best I can for the questions from, you know, an educated background and from experience-based, but I don't, I hope that I don't make anybody mad by not being able to answer every single question because I'm just not comfortable um, telling people something wrong. I would rather say, I don't have experience in that, I don't know it, versus saying, uh, and then making something up. So I did see there was a ton of questions, which makes me really happy and which maybe we could just do like a spinoff one of one of these another time. Cause I'm more than willing to come back and, and talk about it more. But before we start, I just want people to know I'm not the expert of everything. Although if you ask my husband, I am. Oh, <laughs> that's important. <laughs> um, okay. So, well, the first question, um, where did you receive your training? How long was it? Yeah, this is a good one because I get asked this a lot. A lot of people are like, oh, you're a lactation consultant, but like, how did that start? How does one become a lactation consultant? Um, So actually it was, my bachelor's is in animal science. So that's what I went to school for. And I thought, I love animals. This is what I want to do. And then I got into the world and I was like, I'm not 100% sure this is what I want to do. So I was working just kind of like a a desk job, not loving it, had my first son um, and had a lot of trouble breastfeeding him um, later on, not necessarily right away in the hospital or anything. So I was, 
um, became a doula to kind of get that type of um, care to women that I knew I wanted and needed. And I suffered from a lot of postpartum mood disorders, anxiety, depression, and stuff like that. And I was like, no one should feel like this. And so I'm going to help women. And while I enjoyed breastfeeding Lincoln, it wasn't like the best thing ever. So I decided to take uh, what's called a CLC class, Certified Lactation Counselor class, which is a great start for anybody who thinks like, I might want to do this because it's a week-long course. It's pretty intense. I'm hoping with COVID, they're still doing them. They might be delayed, but I took that class and it just sparked something. Like I took that class and I was like, oh yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. I hadn't felt about, about anything else like this. Mm -hmm. Until then, I was like, yep, this is what I meant to do. So then I went to grad school. Um, you don't always have to take that path. So with uh, becoming a lactation consultant, there's multiple pathways. A lot of ways people do it is nursing or a, a dietitian. Then you get a lot of the classes you need. But you can also, I did a master's program that had the core classes I needed in it, along with help me set up with my internship. So most of it is some um, you know health sciences and infant development classes. So people can get that many different ways. It's a lot of different backgrounds. Um, and then you have to do an internship and then you can qualify to sit for the boards and the boards are offered twice a year. So I tell people to um, look at ibcle.org um, and that will tell you all the ways and then you can kind of look from there and say, you know, what education do I already have? What do I need? Um, and start from there to see which pathway is the best for you because there's three or four different pathways to sit for the board. Okay, you said I-B-C-L-E? Mm -hmm, dot org. International Board Certified Lactation Educators, I believe is what it is. But that's a great resource because I get, you know, messages on Facebook and stuff all the time like, how do I do this? I love breastfeeding my kid, you know, so, and I'm like, well, it's a lot of work, but also here's how to start. So, mm -hmm that's a great place to start is kind of look at what do I already have? What would I need? And then I can sit for the boards. Okay. That's good to know because yeah, I'm going to add that to the um, like show comments. So if anyone's interested, they can look that up. Yeah, absolutely. Cause like I said, I get asked all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so big question. I think <laughs> literally everybody has <laughs> what is the proper way to latch during breastfeeding <laughs> I mean I think the biggest thing is to be comfortable and to not stress so a lot of people especially if it's your first baby you're going to have taken the classes so you know the proper positioning and latch from the classes and and anybody can kind of show you that when they come in but the big thing is is not to stress about it because when you stress, the baby feeds off of that. A lot of people don't think of babies as humans in this weird sense. A lot of them think of it as a computer game I must beat. I must enter blah, 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 blah to have perfect baby. And the thing about it is, is your baby is feeding off of your cues. So if you are, are, are anxious and, and worried and, oh, this is going to hurt, this is not going to go well, then your baby's like, what's going on, mom? Like, And they're kind of feeling the same way. So I think being relaxed making sure that there's enough breast tissue in the mouth is the biggest thing. Here is my least favorite myth of all time that I would like to bust right freaking now. Breastfeeding should not hurt. Breastfeeding should not hurt. Breastfeeding should not hurt. <laughs> my gosh, I'm so sick of hearing. Oh, I heard it was going to hurt. I heard my nipples were going to bleed. I heard my nipples were going to get beat up for the first few weeks. No, with proper latching positioning, you should not feel any pain. It should just feel like a little tug pull. 
Um, I always tell people that on the pain scale, it should never go above a two. If it goes above a two, you know, sometimes you're just getting used to it, but going above a two is saying, no, something is wrong. So I think there's a lot of different ways you can latch and position babies. You can put them beside you, across you, you can lay on your back and bring them up and over. It's whatever's comfortable for mom whether she had a C-section, whether, you know, she is having a lot of back pain, you can adjust the position, but you've got to get that breast tissue in that baby's mouth. And one of the best ways to do that, it, that I see a lot of people not do is start at the nose instead of the mouth. It sounds really silly because you're like, oh, a baby eats with their mouth, start right at the mouth. But if you do that, your baby's only going to open their lips a little bit because that's all they need to. But if you start at the nose then you get what I call the fish and they just kind of, open their mouth and then you can bring a lot of that breast tissue in there if you have a proper latch and positioning there's going to be no pain mm -hmm. um so it, would you say that's like the number one issue that women run into because I feel like I always hear I mean I don't have a lot of experience with this but I always hear like women complaining about it being painful or yeah I mean it's one of the top ones I think the top one I get all the time is how do I know they're getting anything how do I know they're getting milk I don't think I have milk I don't make enough milk I I play that card all day that is the one that I work on the most mm -hmm. during the day of my day at work but I would say latch and position behind it um as like probably the most second popular thing I work on with them because they have been told it's been beaten into our brows for so long that it's supposed to hurt just get used to toughen your nipples up I've even had like women come in and they'll have you know washcloths in their bra and I'm like what are you doing they're like well I'm toughening my nipples up from what you know my grandma told me um I've had them tell me that they've run combs over them to get them ready and it's like one of those things that like if breastfeeding was meant to hurt we've died off as a species a long time ago mm-hmm like you're not going to do something eight to 12 times a day that hurts. So it's, it's should never be a painful thing. It should never be where you're getting super sore in between your feeds. You should never, you know, like if that is happening, there is so many resources out there that you need to reach out to a professional. I mean, asking, you know, your sister and your cousin and stuff is fine, but you need to, if your nipples are sore or bleeding or hurting or something like that, you need to see a lactation professional and you can easily search those in your area. Mm -hmm. I think that IBCLE.org website actually has find a lactation consultant. I think they have where you can search yeah. around for lactation consultants. Okay. So if someone is having issues like either pain or like they can't latch, their baby won't latch, then they can just like look good on that website. Yeah. Or I mean, you could Google breastfeeding support in and then put your city or lactation help in and put your city. And there's going to be a lot of private. I work privately as well as in a public hospital. So there's going to be places like that. There's going to be La Leche League, which is a, you know, peer run group. There's, uh, I help with an organization around here called Baby Cafe, which is a breastfeeding support group that's run by lactation consultants. So you can come get free help. So there's so many resources. I just wish people would ask more and stop being like, oh, it's meant to hurt. No, go in and get the help that you need so that you can do this as long as you want. Mm -hmm. um, is there ever a situation like where a baby is unable to latch? Because like, for example, one of the questions was if um, a mother has like large breasts and smaller nipples, um, is that like a reason why, or is there anything else? I think 
No, because there's going to be women all over the world who don't have any other option but to breastfeed and are going to be breastfeeding. So you don't see women in third world countries that don't have any other options saying, oh, well, my baby wouldn't latch because they don't have any other options. Mm -hmm. The thing that we do too much in the United States is interventions. We mess with babies too much. Babies will breastfeed. There is... um, everyone gets little bumps around their nipples when they're pregnant and that releases a scent that makes the baby attracted to the nipple. So that's how they know like kind of where to go. And uh, a lot of women will notice their areolas get bigger and darker, like a bullseye. So the baby like knows right where to go. So they're biologically made to go there. But we have all these interventions in place, like um, a baby comes out and they go straight to the warmer. Uh, They get their shots right away. They get a bath right away. They get circumcised right away. So, and we're constantly like, saying, oh, they should be, you know, away from you and not skin to skin, and they should be sleeping over in this crib and safe sleep and stuff. And not that I'm not saying safe sleep is a big thing, but if we would just leave babies alone, they will breastfeed. If we just give them time, but we have so much in the United States, so many criteria they have to meet, and you're only staying in the hospital a day or two, um, and they're like, you must meet this. So then they we start messing with them, and we're saying, okay, well, let's try to use a nipple shield. Okay, well, let's try to do a little bit of formula and let's do this and that. And a lot of times if you leave them alone, they don't have a problem with it. It's when you start messing with them and there are actually different holds. So typically women with large breasts, I show them the football hold on the side where the baby is actually beside them versus in front of them. So they don't have to battle their breast tissue. And if you grab your breast and almost make like a sandwich or kind of pull up the skin and bring the baby's mouth over it, you can almost make a nipple, even if you have flat or inverted nipples. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you're gonna necessarily need a shield. Now shields are a little thin piece of plastic with holes in it that go over the nipple and they're to help um, evert inverted nipples and to help sometimes with pain if we have a ton of pain. I use them as a last ditch effort because you do have to use them for a while. Then you have to wean off of them. And they're just another thing to add to all this madness. So they are great when they're needed, but I find that they're overused a lot by like uh, maybe somebody who's not as experienced helping them breastfeed and they come in and they're like, oh, she has flat nipples. You're going to need a nipple shield. So not only have you now added something in, you've put doubt in mom's head that, oh, my nipples are not good breastfeeding nipples. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, doesn't know any other nipples it only knows your nipples so if you just leave it alone it will breastfeed so what is an inverted nipple so it's actually kind of cool we all start with inverted nipples um and then during um like the development in the womb, we all started with inverted. So it pokes in. So, and then it's just, it's kind of like dimples in our cheeks. You know, it's like, who's going to have what? So everybody's are different. So um, some people's poke out, some are, some nipples are kind of flat flesh with the skin and some actually poke in. And so there's different levels of that. Um, Majority of inverted nipples will come out with stimulation. So I tell a lot of moms, you know, like if you're, when you're cold, do they stick out? Oh yeah. Okay. Well then a baby can pull that out. There's very few that have true inverted where the tissue is actually tied inside of there that they can't like get it to pull out or it's too painful for the mom. Mm-hmm. So the nipple shield will help with the inverted. The nipple shield can help with that if the baby has a hard time grabbing onto it because the baby needs to feel the nipple in the roof of their mouth. Mm-hmm. So some mom's consistency of their breast tissue and their nipple can make it harder because if you have like a denser breast, then I can't really make that sandwich I need. Or so there's different 
situations where that can help, but the baby naturally should be able to pull it out and pumping should help pull it out too. So the need for the nipple shield should, we like to have our moms off of them in the hospital I work at. We like to have the moms off of them within two weeks. Okay. I think that was one of the questions further down too. Yeah. Um, So you did mention like, you know, a lot of new moms will listen to advice from like their moms or their grandmas about like preparing their nipples. Um, Is there anything that uh, a mother could do during pregnancy or um, immediately after delivery to like prepare her nipples for like breastfeeding? Um, no, honestly, if you have inverted nipples, like you're going to have them afterwards until the baby pulls them out. If you have flat, you know, I think the biggest thing is taking the education, um, Mm -hmm. and knowing what is normal and what is not, because a lot of times the questions I get from moms are the same ones over and over and over and over again. And if they had taken a class that would have better prepared them. So one thing a lot of women do in their pregnancy is they get their breast pump. Mm-hmm. Um, you can order it through your insurance. Everybody with insurance, um, thanks to Obamacare, should be covered. Mm-hmm. Um, so if not, you can talk to your hospital about if they can order it for you. But I don't, excuse me, I don't want people playing with their breast pumps. So this is something I tell people to don't get it out. Don't try it because it can cause contractions. So, um, and if you, I mean, if you're way overdue and your midwife gives you the go ahead, then go ahead and play around with it. But um, you don't want to be messing with it before. And then another thing that I, I hear a lot of people say is, well, I didn't leak during my pregnancy. That must mean that I don't have milk or I never made milk or I'm going to breastfeed really well because I leak the whole time. I want women to know that leaking during your pregnancy has nothing to do with if you're going to make milk or not. We all, all nipples are different. All breasts are different. So you just have leakier breasts than someone else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Um, and will do babies automatically know how to breastfeed or so I know you mentioned like sandwiching. Is that just mm-hmm. like, so if you did that and they automatically, I know they have like a reflex too. Yeah. So breastfeeding is a reflex. So if you run your tongue on the roof of your mouth from behind your teeth, kind of back of your throat do you feel the hard and then the up soft mm-hmm. the up soft is where the nipple needs to hit in the baby's mouth to trigger that suck so that's why we're sandwiching it is to get a lot of that that up there so the baby can grab onto it but yes it's very very natural for babies to suck so this is another question i get a lot is the baby's just using me as a pacifier uh, babies don't know what a pacifier is so they can't use you like a pacifier <laughs> they have no idea what that is they are using you for the breast for what they need which is comfort which is nursing which is you know nursing is not always nutritive you know sometimes you can have passive sucking where they're just kind of sucking on the breast because they're there and they're scared or they're cold or you know there's there's a lot of different reasons and and using you like a pacifier shouldn't be that big of an issue if you have a good latch and it doesn't hurt Mm -hmm. So I tell people babies don't know what a pacifier is. So just let them nurse, 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 especially those first few weeks. Mm -hmm. Should a baby use a pacifier? Like, or oh, the great controversial (laughs) when should the baby use a pacifier? This is a great argument in the world of lactation consultants, and you're about to make me choose sides. Oh, so I'll tell you what. Okay. Um, We don't typically recommend them just because I don't it can make a baby have a shallower suck, but also the thing is you're going to miss a lot of feeding cues. 
So if you nurse that baby and 30 minutes later it wants to nurse again, you need to nurse it. But society has told us every two to three hours, so that baby's going to whine in 30 minutes and you're going to give it a passy because you're like, oh, there's no way that you're hungry. But the baby was, you know, they're coming to you for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks. And maybe they needed a little snack afterwards. So I don't like pacifiers in the first few weeks because I want parents to establish their milk supply. Mm -hmm. um, and I want them to really put that baby to the breast often. But I also, you're not a bad parent if you start it sooner than a couple weeks because of situations. You know, mm -hmm. my job as a lactation consultant, which I feel like I have to debunk all the time, is you are not a bad parent for doing certain things. I think people always think I'm going to shame them. Oh my gosh, you used formula. Oh my gosh, you used a pacifier. Oh my gosh, you gave your baby a bottle. That's never my intention. My intention is I don't care if you want to breastfeed for three weeks or three years. I want to help you get to whatever your goal as a parent is. And I want to support every step you take along the way because there is enough mom shame in the world that we don't need to add to it anymore with, you know, mean lactation consultants and you being scared to talk to me and tell me what you actually want to do when you go home. Mm -hmm. So um, here's another big, I think might be a controversial thing. Um, should you feed on demand or scheduled? <laughs> So especially in the beginning, you just got to do on demand. Scheduled feeds have been shown to reduce milk supply. And also you, if I asked you to mark every single time on a clock, then when you took a drink, when you took, um, you know, ate a snack, ate dinner, they're going to be way more than 12. And they're also going to be a lot of, it's going to be sporadic. You're going to have some here, some there, you're going to have cluster fed. <laughs> cluster fed which is eating almost continuously you know there's going to be a couple hours where you're like man I'm just hungry non-stop like allow your baby to have those same feelings it's not like I said they're not a computer game that if you put the right something in that you're going to get the perfect baby out of it it's one of those things that you have to let your baby lead if you let your baby tell you when they're full and let you them tell you when they're hungry you're going to create better long-term feeding habits for this child versus scheduled feeding because no one schedules their feeds and eats on a scheduled feed as an adult so we can't ask babies to do that, especially ones whose stomachs are the size of a marble and trying to grow. Like you must let them kind of eat when they want to. Mm -hmm. And so one of the questions was, how do you spread out feedings for newborns? So would so in terms of like feeding on demand, you're just kind of listening to the your, your baby. Yeah, and talking to your pediatrician because there is going to be a time, like most people go home from the hospital doing what's called a wake to feed, where you wake the baby up every three hours unless they ask for it sooner, there is going to be a point you don't have to wait them anymore. And that's kind of up to your pediatrician and their weight gain. So I tell people like you, when you leave the hospital, you're on a wake to feed schedule, which is anytime you want or once you get to three hours. When you go to your pediatrician, start asking them, do I have to wake them to feed them? Do I have to wake them to feed them? If they say no, let them freaking sleep. You know, that means that they have gained enough. They've shown that they know what they're doing enough that they can sleep longer if they're a slow to gain baby or they're having issues, you might be waking them longer. So that's another reason that every baby is different. And that's one of the reasons you guys go to so many follow-up appointments. Mm -hmm. Utilize your primary care physician. Um, they're not always a specialist when it comes to feeding. So if they say something and you're not hundred percent sure of it, you know, always double check with your lactation consultants, but you know, definitely use them for when is the baby, do I need to keep waking it up? Mm-hmm you will get to a point the baby will space their feet out at a certain time. And you can help that a little bit by 
not waking them up all the time or not offering until they ask and stuff like that, they're going to naturally space themselves out and they're going to naturally get on a routine. Okay. And um, you mentioned cluster feeding. So what exactly does that mean? Oh, good old cluster feeding. So cluster feeding is feeding continuously over a short period of time. So all of our babies do it. Nice, healthy babies do that. That's what we want babies to do. They're considerate a growth spurt. You're, the baby will first do it when they're in the hospital, um, typically night two. The first day, I always say this first 24 hours, this is a practice baby. It's not a real baby because this baby's sleepy. It it's still living on placental stores. It doesn't care about food right now. It doesn't know sucks while I breathe yet. It's figuring it out. But night two, they kind of get it and they're starting to poop and pee more. And so they're starting to get more hungry. And they're also helping to transition your milk from colostrum to mature milk. So night two, they're going to feed almost continuously. It does not mean you don't have milk. So the two big misconceptions with cluster feeding is, oh my gosh, I must not have milk because the baby is nursing, 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 nursing. Oh, there's nothing there. No, what's happening is the baby's getting a snack, 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 and they're telling your breast, hey, we need a meal. And then your breasts are going to listen and that's going to help. And um, another one is they're using me like a pacifier and it's like, no, no, they're not used. That's so the two big things I, I see when I leave, cause I work days I see, and then come back to it is a lot of times a pacifier in the bed and cause they just wanted to suck all night and bottles that have started in the middle of the night. The highest supplementation rates are from 10 PM to 2 AM because that's typically when cluster feeding happens. So if parents know about this beforehand, like this baby's going to like eat almost continuously and it's cool and it's going to suck. And I tell parents, like, I'll tell them, I warn them, I say, sleep as much as you can today because you are not going to sleep tonight and it's going to be hard, but you're going to get through it. And then you can kind of see that pattern sometimes with older babies, like whenever they're hitting a growth spurt, like they're just sleeping fine. You're like, this is the best day ever. I could have 10 of these guys. And then all of a sudden you're up two nights in a row with this baby that's nursing continuously. You're like, what? the heck like you were fine what happened and this can last for you know a couple days to a week and it makes you miserable especially if you're back at work but you'll see an increase in your supply because the baby was doing snack 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 and your body said okay here's a meal mm -hmm. that's what I notice a lot of women who go back to work when they lose their supply is because they're missing cluster feeds oh okay so and it sounds like you can so you can start breastfeeding immediately it sounds you like should. you should you should start breastfeeding within the first two hours mm -hmm. or at least trying they're not going to do much yeah but let them near it you know tell your body hey baby's here start start all the hormones get them high get the hormones high and make sure that our milk um you know establishes yeah get it flowing get it a flowing <laughs> I'm going to get that on a t-shirt. <laughs> that's a that's a great t-shirt idea I would I have I would lots of breast it. accessories <laughs> I, I wore boob earrings to work today my badge reel is boobs at work um I have a shirt that says eat local I have a bag that says everybody's perfect and it's got all different boobs on it so listen don't tempt me with a good time that's beautiful I love that <laughs> <laughs> um and then how long should someone breastfeed for like minutes at a time or duration like how um duration just like he years I think that's what the question yeah so the Academy of Pediatrics which is what we follow says exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months mm -hmm. um and then breastfeeding with introductions of solids up to one year and then um but UNICEF and some other places are actually coming back and saying minimum two years 
So, but that is because of all the childhood illnesses, it's helping with so much that they're like, as long as you can do it, you should breastfeed as long as you and the baby want to. If you're done at a year, be done. If you're like, this ain't too bad, then do it as long as you both want to. There is never any time that breast milk is not beneficial. Just because your baby, oop, it's midnight, your baby's birthday, and they wake up the next day and they're one, it doesn't mean that the breast milk changed at all. The breast milk is still going to have antibodies in it. It's still going to have microbials in it. It's still going to have enzymes in it. It's still going to have all the stuff that your baby needs as a protectant, but it's just now your baby's a year old. Yeah. Um, and then how should you breastfeed on like one side, both sides, how long on both sides? So you're always going to offer both breasts um, because you want to give them dual stimulation. I joke and say they're sisters, not twins. Mm -hmm. So your breasts work independently. So you've got to give them dual stimulation. So you'll always, in the beginning, you'll start on one side, nurse, as long as the baby wants to. We don't time. So the old school, when grandma tells you 15 and 15, we don't do that anymore. We let a baby nurse on one side as long as they want because you have a foremilk in the front, which is like the baby's Gatorade, and then you got hind milk in the back, which is like the baby's cheeseburgers. It can upset their stomach if they get too much of that foremilk and not enough of the hind milk. So we let them nurse on one side as long as they want. If they're over there for 30 minutes, that's fine. Mm -hmm. So you let them nurse as long as you want on one side. When they're done, which is them pushing off or falling asleep or kind of taking a lot of stimulation to keep them interested, you sit them up, offer a burp, and then you offer the other breast as dessert. They may take it, they may not. Oh, okay. And eventually, you're old, like once your baby starts really, you know, rocking and rolling, they're not going to need both breasts at every feed. They're going to space their feeds out, and they're going to get much more efficient at the breast. I think it's really um, intimidating to parents when they're sitting in the hospital and they're breastfeeding this baby for 45 minutes to an hour, and then the baby wakes up in two hours and is hungry again. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't. How do people do this for multiple years? But the babies become more efficient. They get down to seven, eight, ten-minute feeds. They only need one side, and then they go on with their life. So just remember that when you're sitting in the hospital and you're doing this hard work that's so beneficial to your baby and your body itself, that this is not a forever thing. Okay, so it does get better. They will get more efficient. It always gets better. It always gets better. You end up like me who breastfed my last one for like two and a half years because it was just easier than weaning. Like he just got to the point where it was like, Oh, you fell and hurt yourself? Well, here's some milk. It'll make you feel better, you know. Oh, you're sad. You have a cold. I don't have to worry about it because you're getting breast milk even though you're puking or you're not wanting to eat other foods, you know. Like, it is the best thing for them. So I'm not saying to not feed your babies other foods when it comes to that time, but don't ever feel like you need to stop breastfeeding for any any reason other than you or the baby are done. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when as your baby gets older and starts, like, sleeping through the night, um, are there certain ways to keep like your milk supply up? I guess that comes up pumping. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the cool thing about your body is it adjusts. So, you know, when your baby starts sleeping through the night, you're going to have a couple nights where you're like, oh my goodness, my boobs are going to explode, but they're going to eventually adjust. So then after, you know, a couple days to a week or two, then they're going to be soft at night and full during the day. So like I nursing a two-year-old, he nursed once in a while in the morning. Like it wasn't like a, and I never felt gorgeous. I never felt full or anything when he was two years old because my body knew, Hey, like don't send a ton of milk because he's just eating like nursing once in a while in the morning. Like your body adjusts to whatever you tell it to do. So that's why if you do too much of the pacifier or the bottles and stuff in the beginning, that's going to adjust to that lower amount of milk that's needed. It's all supply and demand. Okay. Um, 
I am learning so much right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. I think about this all day. <laughs> um, and like, so the, with, with pumping, this is like more my personal question. Like when, so should you be pumping all like, like when do you pump and when do you start? <laughs> What's the this, is another, this is another question I get asked a lot. It's a really great question. So um, you don't need to, if everybody's healthy and everybody's breastfeeding well, and there's no issues, you don't need to start pumping for multiple weeks. Your first few weeks, if everything's going well, you should just be focusing on breastfeeding and recovering from birth, which is hard. Yeah. So you should just be, you know, breastfeeding and then everyone else waiting on you, which is the way it should be after you have a baby is make everybody bring you food and, you know, snacks and take care of you. And you basically shower, sleep and breastfeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about a month in, you're going to start putting some pumps in there and letting partner practice with a bottle. Cause that's another question I get asked a lot is like, how do I make sure my baby takes a bottle there is this sweet spot the sweet spot is somewhere between four and six weeks so if you start bottles too early your babies can prefer them because of the flow it's so much faster if you wait too long the the baby can really reject that plastic feeling in their mouth and not want anything to do with it so between four and six weeks you're going to start pumping and practicing with a bottle mom will not do um or you know the lactating partner will not do um the bottles you want partner to do the bottles um so that they don't get used to it so you'll let partner start practicing with a bottle man go have that you know bubble bath with your glass of wine while he gives the bottle and yes alcohol is fine when you're breastfeeding as long as you feel safe to drive you can breastfeed your baby so that's a question I get asked a lot there's uh, so little of it gets into your breast milk. We always say, if you can feel it, the baby can feel it. But if you want to go take a bubble bath and have a glass of wine and let him give a bottle, bye, do that. Mm-hmm. So start practicing until you go back to work with the bottle. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. I have always wondered that. <laughs> I get asked a lot. I mean, it's it's true because you're like, it, the, the, the blogs make me mad and the, the ones that say breastfeed pump, breastfeed pump breastfeed pump so you'll have a million ounces in the in the um freezer and it's like okay cool what is the benefit of that you now have an oversupply you're now spending the time you should be sleeping eating and showering pumping you're now cleaning stuff in the beginning days and you're also not enjoying your baby like why don't you enjoy some snuggles after you nurse instead of putting them down and hooking up a pump um, if you don't need to, if everybody's gaining weight appropriately and latching well, like there doesn't need to be any pumping right away because you want to feed your baby the freshest milk that you have. Mm-hmm. Your body, it's really cool because within two hours of breathing something in, your body starts making antibodies to start protecting your baby against it. Mm-hmm. Um, when your baby goes to daycare and comes back, there's a saliva transfer at the nipple that they start, your body starts making antibodies within two hours to protect your baby from stuff at daycare. It's really what? cool. That's it's so cool yes wow. and so you always want to give your baby the freshest milk so it makes no sense to have all this frozen milk and give them that when you want to give them the freshest milk and in the state of Ohio at least where I'm at I'm not sure about you guys in Georgia but at least where I'm at women are protected here for the first year of their baby's life To they are allowed to pump when they need to freaking pump and nobody can tell them no Mm-hmm. Um, they have to give them the breaks for it. So you should be able to pump your baby's milk at work for the next day. So your freezer stash should just be, you know, I think mine was like 20 ounces, just like, oh man, I'm working late. Oh crap. I spilled a bottle. You know, that's what your freezer stash should be. It shouldn't be anything like there's no gold star for having the most frozen breast milk on the block. Like 
it's just not it's not realistic for and most that's what women see on pinterest and online and stuff like that and they think that's what they need and it's not at all Mm -hmm. well so far i'm getting that uh our bodies are pretty freaking amazing dude the more when i got into it and i was like oh my goodness like this is so cool and i'm constantly learning more and new stuff about our bodies and how it's kind of like if you just i guess it's the doula in me you just leave everybody alone and just do everything kind of natural and like stop messing with people and everything everything's made to work perfectly mm-hmm. so I'm glad there's interventions out there I mean I work at a high-risk hospital so I'm glad those interventions are out there for the moms that need it but it's like can we just leave people alone can we leave laboring and pregnant and breastfeeding moms alone mm-hmm. stop telling them their bodies are broken stop telling them that their bodies need some kind of special drink to be able to make breast milk and that their bodies like are just like their parents so they're gonna not be able to make breast milk like their mom you know like can we stop telling women that and stop letting society put that pressure on us when if you just leave us alone we can do it sorry let me get off my soapbox (laughs) no it's okay love the soapbox important to hear that too I think Um, I mean we see that I'm a you know I'm a pelvic PT so we see a lot of um patients coming in after a lot of like medical interventions yeah oh you probably get the forceps the vacuums all those people that need the pelvic floor stuff yeah the like bladder surgeries and oh yeah I need to come see you so I can jump on a trampoline again someday yeah my pants. we do have a trampoline (laughs) (laughs) I'll make the quick trip yes not too not too far (laughs) um okay so here's another question I thought this was really interesting um so for mothers who've had cesarean deliveries, do you ever see them in the hospital where you work and do they have issues where they can't feel their arms and they're like, how they won't be able to breastfeed? I saw that question online and I was actually kind of surprised by that because I've never seen that. Um, I've never seen a mom have a, I mean, you get pretty strong drugs for a cesarean. It is a surgery. So I have a lot of moms are sleepy um, and just you sometimes you get nauseous from the medications and sometimes you get the shakes and stuff. That's the most common stuff I see, but I've never seen anybody who can't do it because they can't move their arms. Um, so I'm not sure if that question was like, maybe if they're strapped down, like when they're actually getting the cesarean, because they will release their arms as soon as they're in recovery and they're able to grab and help. Um, sometimes moms do have like swelling in their hands from fluids and stuff. And I've seen that as hard to grip the breast and stuff, but I have never come across that. I was kind of surprised when I saw that question. Cause I was like, is this really happening? Cause that's terrifying. Yeah. I read that and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that like happened. <laughs> no, I've never seen that. I've never seen where someone can't move their arms afterwards and be able to breastfeed. Okay. Is there any difference between like women that have cesarean deliveries, um, versus like vaginal Actually, there is. (laughs) That's a great question. So there's a couple different things. So one is the blood loss that's related to cesarean. So cesarean, you have more blood loss. Breast milk's made from blood. It's made from white blood cells. So there can be a little bit of a worry about um, supply a little bit. It doesn't mean you're not going to. Um, Also positioning wise, what most women are going to sit up and kind of lean over to breastfeed. And so you've got to be more creative with the positions that these moms can use because they now have a a scar and they don't have the not able to use the abdominal muscles so positioning can be hard um the meds they give you makes you feel really sleepy and icky afterwards um so there's those kinds of challenges that you run into with it um there is also like um i mean i just read this book 
um, that's about called feed and seed, which is about like how the seeding from the vagina is supposed to touch the baby. And then the colostrum helps create this like complete cycle of how, um, you know, lining the gut of the baby. But the way I feel about it is, is I'm glad cesareans are here for women that need them and it should not deter you from breastfeeding and it should not affect you other than knowing that you're going to need to be a little more creative with the positioning and you're going to be, you know, recovering from major surgery while breastfeeding. So. Okay. Are there any like resources um, that a mother could use to figure out like creativity with that or would that just be in the hospital? Maybe if they had lactation support there. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a um, few organizations like I can, which is, um, I know is like for moms who are looking to have vaginal births after a cesarean, so they might have some stuff. La Leche League is another one that might have some information. But I, I mean, I think just you could probably easily find stuff online like breastfeeding after cesarean. You know, you're going to think of how can I breastfeed my baby where the baby's head will be in the right position, the ear, shoulder, and hip will all be aligned, but not lay on my belly. So a lot of moms find the football on the side. Um, is really good or the baby kind of laid out next to you under your arm or the baby up higher and then kind of coming down to the breast the kind of the funny thing is is if you put that baby there they'll breastfeed in any position that you put them in so I've I've had them latched over mom's shoulders before like this way if mom is stuck on her back like sometimes moms get headaches afterwards and they can't sit up all the way I'll just lay the baby this way and have it come up and over and let like they don't care (laughs) They used to live upside down in there. They were flipping all around. I don't care. Oh, that's awesome. And um, well, so does the like does the baby's neck position matter at all? Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, we want babies to eat just how we eat. So we don't, you know, sit down at the table and then turn my head to the side and eat from the bowl to my right. You know, we sit look straight on and we also don't duck our head down so that actually has a lot to do with it. it's a lot what I work with with moms is making sure that the baby's ear shoulder and hip are all in a line you don't want to have their head turned at all because it's going to be painful and they're going to fight you because that's like if you try to turn your head and swallow try to do it yeah is that super uncomfortable can you that, even do it that is yeah now dip your head down and try to swallow Wow, that was difficult. And it's like uncomfortable, like hurts. Yeah. We should never ask our babies to do that. So like alignment, position and latch and alignment is huge. So that's what you should like be focusing with your lactation consultant in the hospital on is making sure that you have good position, make sure you have good latch so that you're comfortable. And that first 24 hour period when, you know, the baby is still kind of sleepy and you're trying, but like try to get all of that. And that's what the classes can help with too, mm-hmm. is even if you take virtual classes, like after I offer virtual classes and stuff, like if you can take those just to know, Hey, when I look down at this baby, that looks right. Or that doesn't look right. Yeah, that was super uncomfortable. So anyone listening, definitely try swallowing, looking down or to the side. Yes, it's like impossible. So don't ask your baby to eat that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are, so we talked about nipple shields. Are nipple, yeah. shells, nipple shells the same thing? No, nipple shells are, are different. So I love nipple shells for pain. So nipple shells look like a little dome that kind of goes into your bra. Your bra holds them on. So nipple shields you wear during breastfeeding, nipple shells you wear between breastfeeds. 
Okay. They go in your bra and kind of help protect your nipple from a lot of rubbing because you have a breast pad that you can wear in your bra, but it's going to smush your breast down. And if you have do have some damage, it's going to stick to it. This is a piece of plastic that has holes in it to help air get in and it goes over your nipple and helps protect anything from rubbing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you just wear that, you know, while you're like during the period of time that you are like tend to be breastfeeding. Yeah. Yeah. So, and most people, you don't need them for a long time and they're not like, a, like I use them in the hospital when I have moms who have sore nipples and we're working on the latch for them to wear in between. And I tell them, you know, take them home and, and but you hopefully won't need them very long because your nipples won't be sore very long. Hopefully we fix the problem. Yeah. Pretty like does it not take too long to fix that problem when yeah I mean with proper latch using your own breast milk to help heal and making sure that you're like not rubbing and using those shells you can get feeling way better within 24 hours and different results it's like I put the baby on ouch that hurts I put the baby on ouch that hurts oh this will get better ouch that hurts you know no fix the problem and then you will heal afterwards yeah okay so shifting gears a little bit yeah um, shift them shifting so (laughs) what is mastitis and how is it managed I don't even know if I said that right I love how you said it mastitis Mastitis. yeah I mean you said it right it was just cute um so mastitis is the breast infection so um inside of your breasts are a bunch of little ducks so they're like we get them during, they develop in the womb, um, and then you develop them even more during um, puberty, you know, when we have to start wearing a bra, and then they develop even more during pregnancy and stuff, and those du- those ducks wake up, and you've got fat in between them, and so what can happen is if you get plugged milk ducts, or if you get germs in there, like if you are using dirty pump pieces, or you have like a crack in your nipple, and you've got dirt getting in there and stuff, you can cause an infection, so mastitis is a infection of the tissue, not of the milk. So that's the big thing with mastitis is you would continue to breastfeed and that milk is not unsafe for the baby to eat. Okay. What's happened is you've irritated the tissue around the ducts. And so now they tend to get like lumpy and red and hard and hot, just kind of like when you get an infection anywhere else. If you were going to get an infected zit on your face, it would get red and hot. And you know, that's kind of the same thing. So a lot of women start to get flu-like feelings. So almost always comes with a fever lethargic, um, nauseous, and then you pay attention to your brush. And you're like, oh, I have big red hot spots all over <laughs> my breast or, or just in this one spot. That's probably your body saying, I'm getting mastitis and I need to be checked out ASAP. So if that is something that comes on, you do need to get, you need to call your OB right away because it can turn into sepsis. So okay. it can turn into a blood infection and you can be admitted to the hospital for it. And that's the worst thing after you have a baby. So okay. it's not common not everybody's gonna get it but it's also not uncommon it's not unheard of but proper latch proper breast care and not doing a ton of breastfeed pumping breastfeed pumping if you don't need to and getting overly full you should hopefully avoid it Mm -hmm. and so if it does happen just talk to your OB about it yeah call your OB right away that would be an after hours phone call because it can happen really fast and it can turn really crappy really fast Mm -hmm. and when you're taking to be sick right away because it, I had it with my second I started to get it and oh my gosh I felt like death so it feels like you have the flu okay Ooh. and yeah that sounds terrible <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um and what is engorgement why does it happen and how do you know if you have it <laughs> 
That's a lot of parts. So <laughs> engorgement is when the breasts are full, but the engorgement can also happen with, um, it's not just full of milk, but also the blood vessels have swelled in response. Mm-hmm. So like you are either have taken too long between pumping sessions or your mature milk has started to come in day, you know, three to five, you, your colostrum then switches over to mature milk and you get a little bit of engorgement with that. Um, so engorgement should um, with nursing and, um, you know, massage and doing all that, it should take care of itself in a day or two. If it stays a lot longer then you need to talk to your doctor about that because, um, it can turn into mastitis, but engorgement, you're, a lot of women say that their breasts feel like rocks, they're hard, um, and they can become really like kind of shiny where they're so tight. Um, so if that happens, you want to empty your breasts, whether that means um, nursing the baby on both sides, pumping if the baby's not with you and massaging and making sure that you're getting that milk out. But you can also treat it like a sprained ankle. So you can take ibuprofen and use about 20 minutes of ice on it too. Because oh, okay. it's a blood vessel. The blood vessels have swelled in response. So there's too much milk in those ducts. Um, and your body is like, whoa, and it tries to put like a chokehold on the milk says, don't make any more. We don't have any more room in here. Mm-hmm. And so you, the blood vessels swell in response. And so if you still feel really full or, or hard, you can always treat it with about 20 minutes of ice and take like ibuprofen or something over the counter. Mm-hmm. So is that the same thing as, um, like plugged milk ducts then? No. So you can get plugged milk ducts from that but engorgement is different too so plugged milk ducts is just when a little bit of the milk fat um Mm -hmm. sticks in there and isn't able to get through so a lot of women will go through plugged milk ducts and they won't even know or they'll like "Ooh, that kind of hurts and they'll massage it and it'll come right out Mm -hmm. so i tell uh, my patients every day when you get in the shower because you should have a shower every day it's part of even if you feel crappy get in the freaking shower make partner or a friend or someone watch the baby and take the 20 minute hot shower you need When you get in the shower, you should massage your breasts and feel for any lumps and bumps. A blocked milk duct feels like you're smuggling a pee under your skin. And if you find any of those while you're in the shower, because heat helps your milk let down, just try to massage it out. Next time you nurse the baby, try to put a little pressure on that spot or some heat to try to massage it out. But that is what can turn into mastitis. Engorgement and blocked milk ducts can turn into mastitis if you don't correct them. So engorgement's common, especially when your mature milk comes in. Plug milk ducts are pretty common, but it's when people ignore these or they don't know that they have them that they can turn into the mastitis. Okay, because yeah, I've heard a lot about plug milk ducts. And- They're very common. I mean, you'll feel, it's like a little bump and you're like, ooh, I need to work that out. And mm-hmm. next time the baby nurses, you work it out a couple times and it, it comes out. Okay. Um, and can I get pregnant while breastfeeding? I hear that. Oh, for the love of God, yes. If I, oh my God, I hear so many people, I why I can't get pregnant because I'm breastfeeding. Oh, yes, you can. You definitely can. So um, it does lower a little bit the first six months. I don't know the exact specifications on it, but I know you have to be very, very strict, like no pacifiers, no bottles, nursing through the night. Like there's a lot of, for the, what's called the LAM method, L-A-M. Um, I can't remember what it stands for, but the LAM method is, you know, that kind of, using breastfeeding as a preventive, but nope, you can uh, definitely have Irish twins. I will introduce you to a couple of, the, couple of my patients at work that think that don't think you can get pregnant breastfeeding. <laughs> and after you get pregnant, it may be harder to keep your supply up too. So not only are you now possibly breastfeeding two babies, which is totally fine. You can tandem breastfeed all you want, but 
you might have supply issues because your body's now focused on something else other than feeding the baby. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for debunking that one. I know. I hear, I'm like, no, no, no. I think my mom told me that 150 times when I got pregnant with my first and I was breastfeeding because she's a nurse. And that's like, I think she told me every single time she came over. And I was like, I know. <laughs> she just wanted to make sure. She didn't want Irish twins for me. <laughs> um, and this is an interesting one. Um, can I still breastfeed if I have nipple piercing or implants? Absolutely. So you will have to take the nipple piercings out but they typically don't, I see it all the time. They don't typically have any issues. It's kind of funny because they almost like change it from a slow flow to a fast flow because the milk will come out of the nipple holes that where the piercings were too. Mm -hmm. So you just have to be, make sure that you take the nipple piercings out. Um, some women will put them back in between nursing sessions, but a lot of them will just leave them out for their nursing journey because it's hard to put them in and out, in and out, but absolutely. And implants is the same thing. Absolutely. So especially if the doctor put them behind the muscle, um, then I see women do that all the time. Now, women with implants do have to worry a little bit about engorgement and a little bit about getting really full because some of the space is gone now where you would typically expand to. Mm -hmm. So they have to watch her engorgement a little closer and stuff like that. But no, it, it hopefully will not affect it. I do see it affect sometimes breast reductions um, because they're going in and they're cutting around the nipple where all the ducts are, and they're also taking out tissue. So sometimes breast reductions, I do find, um, it's about a 50, 50, it's a wait and see. Like, so studies have even shown it's a 50, 50, you have to wait and see with a breast reduction, but no, with implants, I never have issues or piercings. I never have issues. Mm -hmm. Okay. And last, so last question, this is just a little general um so what is this is like kind of open floor for you <laughs> one thing um that you want all new moms to know about breastfeeding or some sort of like myth that you find yourself always talking about that we haven't already talked about I'm surprised you're not sick of my talking um, <laughs> um just lay all the knowledge on us oh the knowledge oh my gosh I think the biggest thing I tell people is don't be afraid to ask for help like the thing about it is 100, 200, 300 years ago, everybody around you was breastfeeding. Your moms, your sisters, you know, everybody could help you. But nowadays, pretty much no one, like it's not that no one breastfeeds, but that there's not a lot of experience out there in the family uh, groups like there used to be. So don't be afraid to ask lactation professionals. Don't be afraid to get our numbers. Don't be afraid to go to the support groups. No one's going to think you're silly. No one's going to think you have stupid questions. We all were beginners at one time, and all we want for you is to get your questions answered correctly. And so Dr. Google and going on to those types of places are not always going to give you the best answers. So I want women to feel supported. I don't want you to feel bad about breastfeeding. I don't want you to feel guilted into it or shamed. I want you to feel like, you know what? I can breastfeed my baby as long as I want with the knowledge that I have, or this is my goal and I'm going to get to it. But don't be afraid to ask for all the help you need along the way, because that's why we're here. We all did this because we love it. It's not like I'm going to get rich being a lactation consultant. And, you know, it's not like uh, it was a career change for me. And it's what it is for most women who do this because we're passionate about it and we want to help you. So look at all your resources, get ready for your resources. And then also be supportive of other women. If they choose not to breastfeed, that's fine, but don't let it impact your breastfeeding journey and don't let stories and fears come into it because 
every baby is different. Every single person is different. If you didn't breastfeed your first baby, you can breastfeed your second, third, or fourth one for as long as you want to, because this is a new baby and a new start. So don't let your past come in and, and, or a friend's story come in and jar you from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's super important. I mean, I personally, you know, haven't gone through pregnancy (laughs) or labor delivery or motherhood yet. Um, but just like, I know who you're going to call. I, I know I was, I was, trust me, I was going to be telling you that. I was like, well, I'm keeping your phone number because after 10 years, I'm probably going to be calling you up and be like, Casey, I don't know what the heck is going on. And I'll be like, don't you remember our talk? I'll like, have to replay it. <laughs> um, but like, I just like hear all these things about like different like mom shaming and just stuff like that out in the world right now. And so I'm glad you Yeah, ain't that. nobody got time for that. There's no time for that. We're all worried about our own kids and there's no point to shame someone else. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that part too. Of course. Yeah. I mean, I've been there. I'm a mom too. I have two boys, one of which I breastfed and formula fed and one of which I exclusively breastfed for two and a half years. So I've lived every part of this journey too, which I think makes me more empathetic. I understand the struggles of being up in the middle of the night. I understand the struggles of latch. I understand, understand the pain. I understand all of that. So when I come from these areas and I try to help my moms I try to remember like this was me at one time and this is how I wanted to be treated and how I wanted to feel afterwards and I never want anyone to feel like I didn't support them 100 percent yeah and I think like having your like experience like being similar to theirs like knowing mm-hmm. like, what they're going through helps a lot too so yeah absolutely um so thank you so much for joining me today of course I loved it I had fun I know. I loved like listening to all of it. I literally learned so much. I had a feeling I was like, I'm going to learn a lot tonight. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, I was born with the gift of gab, so I could talk forever. So (laughs) you need it because like some people don't talk about it. Um, But it was a pleasure being able to discuss all these like challenges about and busting some myths, a lot of myths. (laughs) Um, But then my final question for you that we ask all of our um, guests on our podcast is where can we find um, you like on social media or how can people like reach out to you if they need help or any guidance? Yeah, I mean, I'm on the core for momentum page. So I'm on the Facebook page and you can put like a post up there of my picture if you want and people can ask me or reach out to me. Um, I do work at a hospital locally, but I also work and do private lactation consultant like classes and consults and stuff I can do them virtually or in person locally um, at tenderbeginnings.com. Uh, so I can put all that stuff on there too. And people can also just reach out to me on the core momentum, core for momentum if they want to, you know, kind of say, Hey, I need help. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm here. Yeah. Okay. So and if not, I can definitely help them find resources in their area. Cause most of the time with breastfeeding, it's easier to just be seen in person. Yeah. Okay. So if they go to like the Tender Beginnings website, they could find you there too. Yep. Yep. And I can put that link um, uh, under this or, you know, they can, you can tag me in something and I can reply to people. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Core 4 Momentum Podcast. We believe that the journey through womanhood is incredibly special, but also difficult. Know that you were never meant to walk your journey alone. If you are looking for a community of women to walk alongside you as we learn about our bodies and pelvic health needs from experts in the field of pelvic physical therapy, check out our private Facebook group, Core for Momentum. That's Core, the number four, Momentum. 
We would love to have you join our tribe of empowered women. And if you are a pre-PT student, student physical therapist, or entry-level clinician searching for online education and mentorship to become a pelvic health practitioner, check out the private Facebook group, Pelvic Health Kickstarters. Be a part of the next generation of pelvic health clinicians who will change our world. Lastly, be sure to check back weekly for new episodes and subscribe. Until next time, stay empowered, ladies. Empowered women. Empower women.